0: Good morning, I invite you to take a Bible and open to Matthew chapter 5. If you didn't bring one, there should be one in the rack in front of you, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, you're welcome to take that one, put your name in it, make it your own, it's our gift to you. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to get to verses 38 through 42 here in just a few minutes. The other day I was driving around, going someplace, I don't really remember where, and uh, something happened to me that seems to happen to me a lot. Another driver just zoomed past me and cut right in front of me very abruptly in what I could only describe as a discourteous fashion. <laughs> and, uh, and I did what I so often do in those situations. I got mad. And I, and I began to wonder why. Why does it make me mad when other drivers do things that, uh, you know, they, they, they cut me off or they tailgate me or they do something else that just strikes me as very unsafe or uncool? And this is the answer I came up with. I feel mad because I feel disrespected. I feel like I'm being treated like I don't matter. That my life, my car, my passengers, none of that's just significant at all. I'm just being disregarded. Now, am I reading way too much into that? Probably. Um, But that is how it makes me feel. And I really don't like it. And I also don't like the kinds of thoughts that I think In those situations, about what I would like to do in response. Um, I don't think I'm alone in this. Although, what pushes your disrespect button may be something different, might be something different from rude drivers, might be something else. But I think the desire for respect is a very deep one, it's a deep longing for desire. In the human heart, we want to be valued. We want to be treated as though our lives matter, as though we have worth. Um, we want to be regarded with respect. And because we have this longing for respect, we tend to react negatively when we're disrespected. When someone tramples on our sense of worth, we usually don't take it very well. Now, we might we might react differently, you know, some of us might just feel hurt and want to withdraw, withdraw from this person who has um, injured our pride in some way, or we might get angry and want to retaliate in some way, but... Uh, you know this is this is just very natural, and I think it, it helps explain why our world is so full of conflict, because people want to be respected, they want to be honored, but instead, when they get treated with disrespect, with dishonor, um, the results can get very ugly: insults, shouting matches, road rage, fist fights. Lawsuits, broken relationships, bitterness, resentment, revenge, even murder and war. When people don't treat other people with respect, bad things tend to happen. And it happens all the time. So it's not surprising that Jesus... Has something to say about this. And it's also not surprising that what he has to say about it goes completely contrary to our normal human inclinations. We've seen that a lot in this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that those who trust him as king, those who are members of his kingdom, need to react differently. When disrespected, dishonored, disregarded. And by the way, his followers ought to expect to be treated that way. He told us that back in verse 11 of chapter 5. He said to his followers, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When you are a follower of Jesus, disrespect very often just kind of comes with the territory. So how does Jesus want his followers to respond? Okay, let's pick it up. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs, or more literally asks from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Hmm. Now, once again, Jesus is challenging a misuse, a misunderstanding, a misapplication of Old Testament Scripture. And the principle that he's talking about here shows up in a couple of different places. One of those is Leviticus chapter 24, verse 29, uh, 24, 19. Take a look. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. And the implication there, the context is this is an intentional thing. Now, this was a law to be applied by competent judges for the good of the community. And it's really important to understand what this law was intended to do. It was to make sure that the punishment fit the crime, and to prevent an escalation of violence, of retribution. And that can happen so easily when there is no law preventing it, when the rule of law is not being observed. So, Fred and Joe get in an argument, Fred knocks out Joe's tooth. Joe turns around, attempts to knock off Fred's head. If Fred su- or uh, Joe succeeds, then Fred's brother comes along and he tries to knock off, you know, the whole family. And then pretty soon it's the Hatfields and the McCoys. A big feud. Somebody hits you back, it's frontier justice, you know. Somebody hits you back, you better hit them back twice as hard. Well, this law prevented that. But what was intended to keep violence from escalating degenerated into a way of justifying a vindictive, revengeful attitude. So, you hurt me, I get to hurt you back. In fact, I have the right to hurt you back. Because the law says so. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, man, I get to hurt you back. And Jesus says, no. See, instead of promoting public justice, now it's become a way of of justifying, of even glorifying, of making acceptable personal revenge. It's not about public justice anymore. It's about me getting revenge. And and Jesus says, no. No. No, that's not how it is in my kingdom. My followers must not pursue revenge. In fact, they should do the opposite. And Jesus does here what he so often does. He calls those who believe in him to a much, much, standard and he shows us what real righteousness looks like in the face of disrespect and he gives us four examples here of disrespect four examples of disrespect at least that's what I would say these four situations all have in common you might prefer another word but in each case There is a disregarding of the interests or the honor or the worth of one person by someone else. So let's look at them one at a time and make sure we understand what's going on. First, there's the insult. The insult. The slap on the right cheek. And it's important to understand that this is not an attack on your life this is an insult to your dignity. Okay, contrary to what some people sometimes try to do with this, Jesus is not here forbidding self-defense if somebody's threatening your life. Okay, that's not what this is. This is an insult. Okay, think about it. Most people are right-handed. So if you're going to slap somebody on their right cheek, it's a backhanded slap. And a backhanded slap was regarded in that culture, and probably still is in ours, as a serious insult. So the insult. Second is what I would call the nuisance lawsuit. The nuisance lawsuit. Somebody's suing you for your tunic. Eh, what's that? Well, a tunic was the basic article of clothing in those days, so, corresponding to today, it would probably be like somebody, uh, for, for guys, shirt and pants, for a woman, a dress, probably a little more valuable than our typical dress, shirt and pants thing, because you wouldn't have that many of them, maybe two or three. So, not the most valuable thing you own, but, you know, important. You kind of need a tunic. So for somebody to sue you for that, that is really obnoxious. That is really downright rude. Third is what we could call the power play. The power play. Somebody in authority does something to you just to prove who's boss, and it's not you. Now, in those days, a Roman soldier could legally require anybody to pick up and carry his back, his his, uh, backpack, his his suit, uh, yeah, I don't know what, you know, some kind of bag, his stuff, right, his gear, maybe his uh, shield and sword, I don't know, probably wouldn't let you carry a sword. Um, But, you know, so he wouldn't have to, he wouldn't have to be bothered with it. Because, you know, he's, he's too good to have to carry his own stuff. Now, you can just imagine how much the Jewish people, whose land the Romans had invaded and basically took over, you could just imagine how much they loved having a soldier just be able to tell them at any time, at a moment's notice, hey, you know, hey, you, you're just going about your thing. And it's, hey, you, pick up my stuff. We're going a mile now. Oh, okay. And then, fourth, it's what I would call the selfish request. The selfish request. Somebody asks you for something that you have and they want, and given the context here, I think the implication is that the request is somewhat unreasonable. The person asking you for something doesn't really care about your situation, your interests, whether you actually have the ability to help or not. No, they don't care. They're just thinking about themselves and what they want. So they just ask you for it. Now you've got to deal with it. So four situations in which our natural inclination is to defend our honor, our sense of worth, our dignity, our interests. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want you to be preoccupied with your honor. I don't want you to be preoccupied with your dignity. I don't want you to be preoccupied with your interests. Um, In fact, you know that person who's just disrespecting you, disregarding your interests? Well, I don't want you to disrespect them back. I want you to do good to them. Do good to them. So if they insult you, don't retaliate. Respond with humility. Humility and if they want to take some personal belonging just give it to them and even more and if they try some power play with you well don't try to fight back with a power play of your own just go the extra mile that's where that comes from go the extra mile help them out and if and if they ask you for something don't be a tight-fisted miser Be a generous giver. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know about you, but as soon as I read this stuff, I'm immediately, I just want to ask so many questions. I just want to, because Jesus just talks in such simple, black and white terms, absolute terms. And I just think, wait a minute. Are we never to resist someone who does evil? Well, what about, you know, what about some, We're walking down the street and somebody's mugging some little old lady. You know, don't resist the one who's evil. What? Or are we never to defend ourselves in a lawsuit? Are we supposed to give anybody who asks anything, any time? So I I just have these questions and I want to know what the exceptions are. Because Jesus doesn't mention any here. He just says, don't resist the one doing evil to you. Treat them with kindness and helpfulness and generosity instead. You know, very short, very direct. Don't do that. Do this. Okay, we need to remember what Jesus is doing here. He is showing us the difference. He is showing us the difference between God's true standard of righteousness And what comes naturally to us. And the reason he talks in such simple, black and white, absolute terms is because it gets our attention. It gets our attention and it makes us ask, wait, what? What did he say? Did he really say, going back a few verses, did he really say that gouging out your right eye is better than lusting? Did he really say that divorce leads to adultery? Did he really mean don't ever take an oath ever? He wants us to think deeply, carefully. He wants us to go beneath the surface and examine our motives. He's showing us we need to change. We need new attitudes. We need new hearts. You know what he's showing us above all? We need him. We need him. We need his righteousness. We need his righteousness to begin to change us from the inside out. What is the natural response to disrespect? Isn't it to react disrespectfully? So the big lesson here is this. Christ's kingdom people don't respond to disrespect with disrespect, but with love. Christ's kingdom people do not respond to disrespect with disrespect, but with love. I really tried to think of another word here besides love, because... You know, love just sounds so gooey and so Valentine's y and, you know, romantic and squishy, but. <laughs> but genuine Christ like love is not gooey, it's strong and it's wise and it's helpful, and it's committed. This is really the heart of it. It's committed to the best interest. It's committed to doing good to someone else. Doing what's good for others. See, Christ-like love is what true righteousness looks like. You know, if we ever get confused about what true righteousness looks like, it looks like Christ-like love. So in the face of disrespect... In the face of disrespect, true righteousness does not look like revenge or uh, retaliation. You know, it doesn't even look like insisting that we be treated respectfully. Instead, it looks like Jesus. Think about it. Was Jesus ever disrespected? How did He respond? How did He react? How did He respond when He was mocked? How did He respond when He was spit on? How did He respond when He was slapped? Did He ever retaliate? Oh yeah? Well, take that. Did he ever pursue revenge, evening the score? No. You say, well, yeah, but you know, sometimes he spoke kind of harshly to people. Yeah, and if you look at it carefully, anytime he spoke strong words to someone who was opposing him, he always did it with their good at heart. Because he wanted them to repent he wanted them to experience god's mercy and jesus wants his followers to respond to disrespect the way he did by pursuing the good of the other person so we need to keep in mind what jesus is doing here and not press his statements too far okay they are meant they are meant to counteract this natural spirit of retaliation, of revenge. And they are calling, he's calling us to have instead, to demonstrate instead a spirit of love and graciousness and helpfulness. He's not calling us to be foolish. He's not calling us to ignore injustice. There are plenty of other things that he says that Scripture teaches He's calling us to be loving, and loving, love requires wisdom. I read about a seminary student who was determined to take these words of Jesus in a very absolute sense, and apparently the school where he went had a pretty good population around it of panhandlers, and so anytime any panhandler asked him for money, he would always give it to him. Well, guess what happened? He became very popular among the panhandling community, and they asked him a lot, to the point where he went bankrupt. True story. What was the problem? He wasn't being wise. He wasn't being wise. He wasn't taking into account Jesus' purpose here. He wasn't taking into account other Scripture, like, for example, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, which says, if anyone's not willing to work, Don't let him eat. See, he wasn't really thinking about how to actually help these men. He wasn't thinking about what's helpful. He just kind of blindly... Because, you know, if you actually... Frankly, it's really easier to give money. To actually help people would require maybe, you know, getting involved. And that's messy. That's hard. Giving money to people who are going to spend it on drugs or alcohol is not really helping them. So, being generous doesn't mean being stupid. But, having said that, we need to be very careful we're taking Jesus seriously here. Because it would be very easy to convince ourselves that we're being wise when we're really just being selfish. So the big question is, How do we actually live this way? How do we actually live this way? How do you actually respond to disrespect, not with disrespect in return, but instead with love? Because that sounds pretty much impossible, doesn't it? I'm not the only one who feels that way, right? Come on, (laughs) nod your head. Thank you. It just feels impossible. It reminds me of what somebody once said about living out the Christian life. He said this, The Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. It's not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. Now that's an overstatement. That's an overstatement. But it it makes a point. This stuff is hard. It's hard. How do we do this? There's really only one way. There's only one way. We have to believe. We have to believe that we are going to be okay even when someone disrespects us. We just have to know we're going to be okay. How can we know that? by putting ourselves completely in jesus hands putting ourselves completely in jesus hands and trusting him to do what he promised to do and that is to work even this out for our ultimate good now don't misunderstand this is not a call to be passive jesus isn't he doesn't tell us to do nothing does he in fact he tells us Do good. Do good. Do good to the one who disrespects you. And see, that's going to vary depending on the situation. Well, what would be good in this situation? What would be good for that person? Okay, but here. Doing good to somebody who's not doing good to us requires believing that Jesus will do good to us. Let me say that one more time. Doing good to somebody who's not doing good to us, requires believing that Jesus will do good to us. And so, I do what he says, and I trust him. You know, who knows? Maybe when I turn the other cheek to this person who's insulting me, maybe that demonstration of humility will shame them and bring them to repentance. Who knows? I don't know. But I do have to trust Jesus to take care of it. This this makes me think of a passage in Hebrews chapter 10. The author of Hebrews is writing to Christians who were tempted to give up following Jesus. That's really who the book of Hebrews is addressed to. Christians who were tempted to give up because of all the opposition they were experiencing. It was hard. And so the author says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Okay, what was that? Well, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those who were in prison for their faith. And you joyfully, look at this, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. You accepted the confiscation of your property with joy. How? Why did they do that? Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Do you see it? Do you see it? You can handle insults. You can handle mistreatment. You can handle the loss of possessions with joy. Why? Because you have better and lasting possessions in Christ. In other words, Jesus promises you this. So don't worry about losing this. This is not a call to ignore injustice. This is a call to perspective. Perspective. You have a glorious, if you are in Christ, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you have put yourself in his hands. Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need you to forgive my sin. I know there's no other way I can be right with God but you. So I just give it all to you. If you are in Christ, then you have a glorious future that Christ has promised to give you that will so much more than compensate for any loss that you experience because you trust him. So you can respond. I can respond. We can respond to disrespect with love because Jesus will make it worth it. That's how to do it. Believe that he'll make it worth it to respond with love instead of with disrespect. We have to trust him. We get to trust him. We get to. It's an amazing privilege. Let's bow together and pray about it. I don't know which of those four situations seems most appropriate in your life. Um, maybe you're experiencing disrespect in a very different way. But you can pretty much count on it. At some point, somebody's going to disregard your interests, your sense of worth, and they're just going to trample on it. And you're going to have to decide how to respond. To respond with disrespect, to retaliate, to seek revenge, or to respond with love, which is not gooey, it's not sentimental, it's genuinely caring about what's in that other person's best interests. And the only way we're going to do that is if we trust Christ to take care of our dignity, our needs our interests if today you have not yet put your trust in him that's what i would encourage you to do today just a moment we're going to gather around the lord's table and we're going to remember and celebrate what jesus has done for us to guarantee us a future beyond belief far better than anything you can even imagine so that we never lose out when we do things His way because we trust Him. I'll just give you a minute to pray, to talk to the Lord about whatever's on your heart, and then I will close in prayer in just a minute here. Lord, your ways are so much higher and better. So much greater than what comes naturally to us. So we don't want to do what comes naturally. We want to ask you to work in us and do what comes supernaturally. What comes because we trust you. Father, it is scary sometimes to trust you and not just take things into our own hands. But We need to trust you, and so I pray you would help us do that. Fill us with your spirit. Help us the next time we're disrespected to respond with love. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.